everybody, and welcome to a new episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast, where we talk about the business of sports. I usually do this with my longtime partner, Joe Favorito, but Joe is traveling this week. He's actually down in Hotlanta for Super Bowl, Super Bowl 53, I believe it is. Um, so you guys will be hearing this podcast after the Super Bowl, so I don't know who's going to win it. Uh, I don't know what the, I can't make a prediction, but I, maybe I should make a prediction. Um, <laughs> I'm really hoping the Rams will win. I'll admit it. Uh, okay, so let's get that out of the way. So what, by the time you hear this, we'll know uh, what's going on. Anyway, Joe, hope you're having a good time. Um, I'm happy to be having this conversation today because it's uh, a subject that's very interesting to me personally, as it is to Joe, and he was a little jealous he couldn't make it, by the way, um, because we're going to be talking about Snapchat today. And we're going to do that with Anmo Malhotra, who heads up sports partnerships for Snapchat here in New York City, even though they're L.A.-based. So welcome, Emil. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. We, uh, we've been wanting to have this conversation for a while, so it's finally happening. So yeah. I'm excited. So I've got a bunch of uh, questions I want to get into as it relates to social media, Snapchat's place in the ecosystem, what Snapchat is doing in the sports space specifically. Uh, but it'd be good for everybody to get to know you a little bit. So tell us the, uh, the animal story. Yeah. Uh, and then I'll get into my first question. Definitely. So I definitely had a very strange path to sports. Um, I was a finance major at Notre Dame. And like most of my colleagues, I went to work at BlackRock in midtown Manhattan for a couple of years. Um, we focused on insurance asset management. So folks like Allstate and Farmers Re. Um, and our kind of goal there was client service and, and junior portfolio management in terms of getting more yield for their portfolios. Um, when I joined, it actually was a very infle- a different point in time for, for insurers in the sense that um, the yields on 10-year treasury bonds were very low. So what that meant is that they had to really change their investment portfolios to try and drive more income. Um, so it was exciting for me because I learned about different asset classes such as CMBS, RMBS, CLOs, a lot of the, the terminologies that you forgot after the financial crisis of 2008. Um, and I learned a ton about the fixed income industry and how to kind of think about portfolio asset management. Um, after I hit probably four years, I was kind of in that four-year strut of high school four years, college four years, and then BlackRock four years, what do I do? Um, I looked at a lot of uh, MBA programs, looked at private equity, I looked at um, hedge funds, and then uh, as chance had it, um, Snapchat just hired a new chief strategy officer, and he was a finance guy by trade. He came from Credit Suisse. Uh, and the story goes is that he uh, he walked into the business room of Snap out in L.A. and he saw 30 or 40 business folks that came from Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, Hulu, etc., and said, uh, "You guys all have the same exact experiences. If you want to do something different at this company, we got to find different people." Um, so I luckily got introduced to him through one of my BlackRock colleagues who actually moved over to Snap. Um, and at the time, they were looking at uh, efficiently monetizing kind of content and how to do that uh, more broadly. We hadn't sold ads there for a long time. And he. Well, so uh, this is 2015. 2015. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So uh, he, luckily for me, I was a finance guy, so it'd be the same kind of language and terminology. And for better or for worse, if you're a finance guy, you're you're kind of implied that you know numbers. Right. So that was kind of my my door in. That's how I kind of joined the company. Um, and when I joined in late 2015, November 2015, um, you know, we covered the gambit: sports, music, entertainment, fashion and really kind of finding the way to, to monetize those properties efficiently and kind of getting new properties on the platform. Um, as we verticalized kind of more broadly, I got really lucky and kind of got placed in the sports vertical um, in early 2016. Wow. So wait a second. So let's go back to your interview. Yeah. So you knew the guy. 
right? Or or you were recommended I to the guy through to the someone guy. you knew. So yes. there was a uh, there was a connection a little bit. Correct. Did how curious was he he or she he he about your knowledge of interest in or usage of social media and Snapchat? He was very curious into that, and I think the the benefit I had with with going to Snap is that, you know, we're the younger generation, right? So he was more apt to hire somebody like me, who was much more in the social media space and understood Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, and obviously I was a big Snap user, um, and could talk that language. And it's funny because, you know, as the years went by, how many meetings we've had with executives at the NFL, the NBA, ESPN, Turner, (laughs) etc., Um, where my job was to educate them on the app and why it was important to them. Right. So I think in, in a way, uh, he understood that you know he needed people like us to come in and be kind of at the forefront of this because right. they were living and breathing it every single day uh, and not someone who had no idea how this stuff worked because we never would have got these deals done. Had Discover been launched already? So Discover launched in January 2015, so about seven, seven eight months before okay. I kind of had right. this. Um, there was only 10 partners, folks like ESPN, Cosmo. Right, that was IGN. when it was contained, I think it was like an eight-frame an eight frame kind of yeah. setup. There, I remember what it looked like. There were circles. There, yeah. there were 10 circles. Right. And uh, it was interesting back then, which is funny, it was purely based on the affinity you had for the brand, right? The circle said ESPN, the circle said Cosmo. So you had no idea what the content was. You just, if you liked the brand, you'd, you'd kind of pop in. Um, and what really changed over time, now we have you know 300 plus partners, um, is we're trying to kind of attract new types of users and Snapchatters to brands they may not already know. Right. So back then, right. if you didn't know ESPN, you would have never clicked on the ESPN tile. Right. Right. Um, today, you might see a, a picture of LeBron or a funny gif of something else, and it's kind of going to attract you, in, which is kind of our goal. Right, moving okay. Forward. All right, so that's interesting. So you were a legit Snapchat user when you when you went in for the interview. I was, okay. I was. And like you many of started using a lot more the next day. I did, and you know, once, I mean, once you join, you just you see a little more under the hood of kind of yeah. like what's going on and how it works. And I think, unfortunately, when you're not uh, at the company, you're not close to it. You know, you make some broad assumptions about how things work. When I joined, I learned a lot about the strategy we had and a lot about kind of the roadmap in terms of what we were doing from just our product side and also on the content side. Um, and it's just pretty fascinating, you know, you know how much it's kind of grown and evolved since then. Yeah, so, so let's go there. But before we do that, um, tell me about the, the first task or group of tasks you were given when you got the job. Yeah, so back then, um, I think I was an employee like 250 maybe, and two-thirds of those were more on the engineering right. side. So on the business side, it was actually very, very small. Um, our partnerships team was maybe four or five people, and our sales team was probably 15 or 20 people. Um, today we have this massive programmatic business and auction business like every other platform back then it was all direct sold sponsorships mm-hmm. that's it so the first couple things we had to do is that and it was like it was amazing to think about because we closed a deal with uh, the NFL for a story on Sunday we closed a deal for with the NBA for all-star weekend we closed a deal for Preakness the Kentucky Derby we closed a deal for um, the Masters whatever it might be right and we, we get that deal on the content of the platform and then there's this mad rush to sell it so those first couple of attacks were really making um, making our sales team very excited about selling this. Mm-hmm. So it was really educating them about why this content was different. You know, UGC three to four minutes was a different concept in 2015 right. around a sporting event. Um, and then translating that to brands. Um, why would they come to Snap to, to kind of buy uh, ad units within that content versus going anywhere else? So those first couple months of doing it was really educating people as to why. It makes sense, right? And and you so you were dealing with both the early stage discover opportunities yep. for these third parties, which was I guess eventually about you know the category is about to grow beyond the eight, 
uh, but also the story idea, which was new to the business. Exactly. So the story. Talk about that because I remember. I remember. I think you're referring to what I used to consume. Uh, sometimes on Sundays, like an NFL, like yeah. each team would have a story, right? Exactly. All right, so talk about that and, then, and, and explain to everybody how that works from a monetization standpoint. I mean, the content I think we all get, little little snippets of, of things from any given game, yeah. but how do you monetize that? Yeah, so I'll, I'll start with a little bit of the content because I think it is actually uh, exciting to think about how that's evolved over time and, and why it's different for us. You know, we what we really saw is most of our other competitive platforms in traditional media covers sporting events in a very similar way. It's touchdowns, it's dunks, it's three-pointers. There's a lot of coverage of the field, right, of the action happening there. Um, but we kind of realized is that, you know, there was a space to cover everything else, the shoulder content, the pregame, the postgame, mm-hmm. the fans, the locker room, um, what it feels like to actually be there. So we loved that first row snap. We equally love that last row snap. We're trying to provide our users a 360 immersive experience. We always say the best way to experience a live sporting event is to go out and buy a ticket and go. Um, the next best way is to, w- to watch on our platform. Mm-hmm. So our goal with that content form you're describing, what we call our stories, is to make it very experiential and really attract different types of fans, right? So I think the hardcore sports fans like me and you are always going to watch NFL content. We're always going to watch NBA content no matter where it is. Um, our goal with our content is actually not to attract us. It's to pique the curiosity of the casual fan and really say, you can kind of remember that tailgate you went to. You know, you can kind of relate to these sporting things that we're showing because they're not just the game itself. So that was kind of our sell to partners and also to brands eventually. In terms of monetization, the way that it works is very similar to commercials on TV. They're interstitials in between. So on Snap, we have maybe a story that's 30 or 40 pieces of content long, let's say three or four minutes. Um, every five snaps, you'll get an ad in your system mm-hmm. three ad slots. Mm-hmm. And the way that kind of it works with our partners is that we have sort of rep share agreement with them in terms of um, how we monetize on both sides. Okay. And I remember that used to be skippable. And at a certain point, it became, I want to come back to that in yes. a second. <laughs> but let's go back to the creation of a story. So I, I'm, I'm having memories of watching certain games I was interested in just to, to, to see how you were handling it. So, right, three or four minutes, you're getting all these interesting perspectives at the tailgate party, bleachers, front row, yep. lock, you know, the, the tunnel uh, walkout or whatever. You're coll- the, you were, guys were collecting those or curating those? Yeah, exactly. From right. random fans? Like, were they assigned to do stuff for you? Yeah, so great question. Okay. It's uh, it, it's kind of a crazy process, and it's very similar to a newsroom in a certain extent. So we have this uh, a big content operation out in L.A., and it feels if you walk into it like a scene in a newsroom. There's a right. hundred screens. There's a bunch of curators, et cetera. Um, and the way it works is that if we're going to cover the, the Knicks are playing the Mavericks tonight in Madison Square Garden, um, if we're going to cover this game, we geofence. Which you don't really need to, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> as a lifelong diehard yeah. Knicks fan, we can right. talk about that. Right. Right. We, the podcast. we talked about that. Yes. Yeah. Um, so we could geofence Madison Square Garden, and basically, if you're a user in the stadium or around it, uh, and you take a snap. So let's say me and you're in the stands, right. and we're drinking a beer, and we're taking a snap of the court, whatever it might be. When I take that snap, I get an option to where I want to send it. I can send it to my friends, mm-hmm. pick some of my friends individually. I can post it on my story, which is kind of your collective group of snaps that all of your friends see. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I can also say, submit to Snapchat's our story. Uh-huh. So okay. when you click that button, you get thrown in the pool of everyone who's submitting content to those, right. the overall kind of national story that we're running. Right. We get anywhere between five and 20,000 snaps submitted to some of these stories, depending on what it is. Um, Super Bowl Sunday, like coming up this Sunday, we'll have even more. 
And what our content team does in L- out in LA is that they pick the best 30 or 40 to stitch together to a story. Now, over time, a human curation. There's no AI curation. or something. Go- on, None. On this, the yeah. only thing that 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 you know we've really changed over time, I think, is that you know early on it was a lot of like fun dancing party right. cool snaps, and at that time it was amazing. People loved it. Um, the reason why we do these partnerships with folks like the NBA. So if we did that that same story I talked about with with no partnership. Um, it would say, you know, basketball game in, in January, Team Blue versus <laughs> Team White, and we couldn't right. use Nick's marks and logos right. and talk about Luka Doncic or anything like that. Um, and you probably would be discouraging the use of actual highlights. Exactly. Yeah. So now with the deal with the NBA, they gave us clips within the stories. We actually have highlight clips. So you might see a, a, a crossover from Luka where he hits a three, which is a piece of UGC from a fan in the last row. The next piece of content can be the actual clip from Turner, right. who runs the thing. So right. it's a really cool juxtaposition. And yeah. the second thing is that, you know, we're a storytelling platform, a mobile storytelling platform. Having partners make us better storytellers. So a lot of times before the bigger events, we storyboard out these things with our partners and say, this is what you think we want to cover here. Um, and here's how we're going to kind of go about doing that. So we want to make it feel like beginning, middle, and end. So right. if you actually watch these stories, you're following a narrative. Right. And it's not just how it used to be. It's just people kind of jumping around having, and having parties. And the second thing I'll say is that in terms of the creation piece, so yes, I think what you're getting at is that how do they go through 10,000 snaps to pick right. 30 or 40? Um, so a couple things. We also have either folks on our team or folks on the partner's team, depending on which partner it is, that pretty much always have people on the ground, whether it be their social media team kind of there doing other things uh, for the event or some folks that we'll send on our behalf. Um, those accounts are whitelisted, meaning that those snaps will come up first in kind of our creation tool so they can see those, knowing that's people that we know that could be have really good access. And then the second thing is athletes. A lot of our relationships over the past couple of years, a lot of our focus, I should say, has been getting better relationships with athletes there. So a lot of these these players, uh, NFL, NBA, anybody else on top of that, are huge Snapchatters. So we'll work with someone like Dwayne Wade, for example, who's a huge Snapchatter, verified on Snap, and uh, kind of encourage him to also post to the stories. And a lot of times he just does it organically because he loves the platform and knows right. how to use it. Um, so Hill Snaps will be kind of shown in this creation tool up there too because he's also whitelisted. Right. So we definitely have a way of, of taking down those thousands of snaps and making sure that they're looking at the ones that make the most sense. Um, and our curators are kind of trained to look at, again, what makes the most sense to make this story extremely compelling. Right. So a lot of times it's someone taking a snap of the court more times than not, it's someone doing some sort of experience in the stands where people can follow. Right. This this is really interesting to me because I think about the early days where somewhere with Evan Spiegel and the management team, I suppose, they said, we want to do this, we have this idea, discover. Yeah. And we want to bring in more professionally produced content from key partners, entertainment, sports, et cetera. And someone said, yeah, let's do definitely do sports. Where do you begin? Like, how did you guys look at the sports landscape and start because of course in sports we have lots of media creators you just named a bunch of them yeah so the leagues the full leagues the individual teams the athletes all the media companies uh, colleges etc etc I mean there's literally thousands of them so as you looked at a uh, uh, your strategy to kind of roll out sports or build sports how did you wrestle with that kind of the daunting task of, of determining a pro, you know priority plan. Yeah, daunting is a great word. No. Um, it was it was definitely something that we needed to think about because on one hand, um, 
we wanted to do as much as possible. On the other hand, we wanted to scale the business correctly and make sure that it was growing naturally and not something to keep changing and evolving every couple months. So I think our first thing we kind of talk through is, is leagues, broadcasters, and rights holders. So if we get deals with those at the highest of levels, it would give us the ability to cover whatever we wanted within those organizations. Mm-hmm. So a deal with the NBA or the NFL allows us access to a lot of different things, as you would expect. Mm-hmm. Um, a deal with the ESPN, so I'll use college football as an example. Um, college football with folks like, like IMG and Learfield, et cetera, um, the, the, the landscape there is obviously a little complex in, in how you'd work with the individuals in those teams. Um, ESPN allows us to use the broadcaster and, and then get their, their kind of coverage for all the games they have. So it was also ease of use, right? So where does it make the most sense? Okay. In any one of those cases, you could make the case of we could partner with Fox and CBS and ESPN for the NFL, but if you brought the NFL, we're partnering with one entity and then we can have all the things we really need with, with them right. individually. So we made that kind of analysis and decision-making process thinking about what is the what makes the most sense for us long term um and what is kind of the simplest solution of 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 these of these partners in some cases the broadcaster in some cases it's the rights holder in some cases it's the league um and then obviously the the last factor is who's going to work with us very early on and who's going to who's going to be talking to us so um that was always kind of the the trump card of um who was willing to kind of i mean because at the time you think in 2015 early 2016 we were not known as a content platform, right? You know, um, we were a messaging app, and uh, people didn't understand how a disappearing photo app made sense for for some of these traditional partners. So a lot of that, as I mentioned earlier, was us really finding the right partners that were willing to take a step forward with us and that little leap of faith, understanding that's going to grow over time to be a big business. Yeah, it's really interesting to think about that because it also overlaps with the moment in time where I think it's fair to say the leagues were realizing they were having some issues, shall we say, yeah. with Gen Z. Uh, and there was this generally accepted uh, feeling in the marketplace that Snap pretty much owned Gen Z, right. at least for a moment in time. I mean, still still very influential, but especially, I guess, 2015-16. So, so thinking back on it, you know, the interests were aligned. You needed to do what you needed to do. And if I'm hearing that pitch in my old jobs, I would say, yeah, if that's the best way to get to teenagers, let's talk. Let's yeah, figure this out. I think, I think the timing was perfect. Right. We got really yeah. lucky in that sense. And the two trends that really helped us is that, and you kind of alluded to it, you know, number one, consumer attention was evolving so drastically and right. just digital consumption just exploded. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were kind of the center of that. And the second piece was some of the league stuff and the broadcast was just aging up on linear was, was obviously having even more. So those two things really helped us during that time period because we were the, the solution for a lot of those things for most of these partners. Exactly. So let's talk about where we are here in the early 2019, kind of the bigger picture of Snap. There's, I mean, it's one of the most analyzed companies, I think, in the history of, of the media and tech <laughs> business. Uh, and I happen to be one of the one of the students of it. I love reading these articles because it's really interesting to think about where it started and where it, where it, how it evolved and where it may go. Yep. So can you comment on kind of where things are as you look towards uh, uh, the rest of 2019? So there's talk in the press, even this week, about the idea of creating some uh, permanent snaps, uh, non-ephemeral content, which mm-hmm. would be a big change philosophically, I guess, with the business. Um, different ways to potentially iterate on the app to make it more can I say user friendly to older users? Mm-hmm. Things like that. So, yeah. can can you comment on all that? Yeah, a, a little bit. So, I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll talk with the into the sports hat on for a second sure. in terms yeah. of what we're looking for twenty nineteen. So, um, 
as I mentioned earlier, like our our first couple of years or t- year or two was basically leagues, broadcasters, rights holders. Let's talk to the to the kind of top level, right? Uh, the top of the funnel, because if we have a relationship with the bigger guys, it just feeds to everything else. Um, I think one of our biggest focuses for the next 12 to 18 months is really going to the more granular aspects of sports, teams, players. Um, we kind of envision a, this kind of content um, solution in the sense that you have leagues kind of helping us get content on the highest of levels, and that's highlights, that's commentary, that's analysis. Um, you have teams in the middle of that kind of structure where they have the best access on the, on the kind of smaller level in terms of what's going on on a day-to-day basis throughout the season. And then ultimately you have players as well that can give you access that no one else can in terms of locker room, pre-game, post-game, leading up to the game, etc. Um, so we've done a really good job of that top layer of the funnel with, with the, the highest level organizations. I think our focus now is how do we make this a platform that is um, very strong for the next two levels in terms of teams and players. So from mm-hmm. the sports standpoint, um, that's definitely probably our, one of our biggest focuses and, and also diversifying outside the U.S. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of our focus for obvious reasons has been in, in the biggest market. Um, for us, which has been the U.S., how do we kind of bring an always-on, if you're a sports fan in Europe, if you're a sports fan in Asia, uh, in South America, do you have something on the app every single day like you and I do here today? The answer right now is no. Um, so how do we expand our reach more broadly uh, internationally and make sure that if you're a Snap user and you're a sports fan, there's something for you? Right. Um, I'd say to, to your questions on the on the, the broader Snap um, kind of uh, product and, and corporate stuff, um, you know, we're always looking to evolve and adapt. You know, the space that we're in, as you kind of mentioned earlier, is a very young, uh, engaging community. And uh, that community, you know, needs to continually have fun, different, new, engaging aspects of the app brought to them. So um, we listen to our users a lot. We, you know, we're always trying to push the envelope in terms of um, what makes sense and, and, and how do we keep people coming back to the app over and over again. You know, our, our goal with all of our content as well is, is getting loyal users. Um, we could care less about clicks. We want you to come back to, to our content every week, every month, every couple of weeks, whatever it might be. Um, so all the stuff you read in the press is a goal or um, a test to kind of get towards that, which is getting people back on the platform more. Right. So so as you move through deeper into that funnel and you're talking to teams, just give us an idea of how you might pitch or propose a new relationship to a team that's never used you before Yeah. at this point in history. Definitely. So, Including, you know, I want to know if I can make money from doing yeah, this. Yeah, definitely. So one thing that we're doing with teams, and, and uh, I, I think it's, it's, uh, the timing is actually perfect for this. You know, what we probably underestimated when we started doing this internationally initially is that you know, the beauty of the U.S. is that you have the NFL and you have the NBA. And if it deals with them, they give you a lot of really good positives that you, that you can do. Um, European soccer is a little bit of a different, different. different type of beast there. So it wasn't as simple to talk to the governing body. Um, so in that light, we started talking to the team. So folks like, uh, you know, Real and Bayern and others, um, there's announced a deal with AS Roma a couple weeks ago um, and some more in the sense that a lot of these teams are content creators like anybody else, and they have huge content operations. Um, so we're working with them directly now and doing deals with them directly and saying, you know, you guys have amazing content that you're producing and other properties. Uh, we have, have built a system to make it very easy to be produced on our platform as well. I think the, the biggest difference that, you know, we see there and why it's valuable to teams 
is that our our audience and our um, you know the type of people watching Snap is just so different from everybody else. And we've done some studies with unduplicated reach, etc. Um, and what we've really seen is that uh, even if it's a similar piece of content that a team might be running on other social platforms on YouTube on their own properties, wherever it might be. Um, it's going to have a much different type of user base that's watching it on Snap, which provides them again with a way to get incremental reach and audience. On the on the deal side and the monetization side, you know, similarly like we, how we work with leagues and 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 broadcasters and rights holders, um, we can enter into a deal, and the content that they produce in the, on the on the app gets ads flight in between it, and then the, the revenue is shared that way as well. Right. And are you following a specific protocol about every six? Uh, pages of let's say discover content there's going to be the interstitial like in yeah, other words exactly. you're not you're not you're not doing customized advertising not, deals or something like that uh, i mean we have some custom stuff depending on the, we have various ad products you know our our creative tools which we call lenses and filters so if you see the kind of the fun stuff we have around events and um the lenses we do just right. garner so much usage so like that's advertising products outside of content that a lot of our partners utilize because they can get reach on top of what they're doing on the content side and outside of video. Um, but from an ad standpoint, you know, those interstitials, yes, those, those breaks that you have, is it, those are based on what we've seen works the best with users. So that's how they work generally in, in, in most of our content formats. But outside of that, I mean, there's many other ad products that we have that, that both partners and brands alike have utilized. Right. So they can look at some options conceivably exactly yeah okay they're not tied to one specific no approach. no exactly i think what's good with us is you know we're in inning one or two of, of our maturation as a company definitely in the sports world so i think right. we're nibble in the sense that uh we've learned so much from our partners in terms of what works and what doesn't um so it's not we're not building the coliseum and something that's lasting for forever we're right. continually iterating and and changing things as they see fit for our partners yeah that, that's an interesting point you must from time to time get either some resistance or hesitation by certain properties for whatever reason. You know, an older executive doesn't understand the more interface. More times than not, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, I figure that's probably number one <laughs> on the list. Um, what is, what are, beyond that one, what are the objections? Can't make enough money? It's not, I don't know. What, I, I'm curious to hear what you hear on the marketplace. Yeah, so I think the first objection is, is exactly right. It's just, it's an education gap, right? Um, I think we're, you know, for older executives, they understand the other apps because they use them or, right, or, or right. like they're a part of it to a certain extent. We're one of those few apps at least, you know, a year or two ago where they didn't even have it on their, on their, on their phone. So we were entirely, entirely new to, to um, those guys. And that was the biggest thing. I think the first thing is education. How, mm-hmm. how do you explain to them why it makes sense? And again, going back to my earlier point, disappearing photo app. Mm-hmm. Why, why would you go on the platform? I think the other uh, major objection we probably see is uh, everyone's kind of measurement sticks or KPIs are, are basically two things, reach and revenue. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we do a really good job on the reach side, and especially from an audience demographic standpoint. I mean, we're 90%, 13 to 34. Um, you're not really getting there anywhere else. Right. Um, so so that side of the, the equation has always been relatively straightforward and simple. Um, on the revenue side, you know, again, we just started selling ads a couple of years ago. So in, in the overall kind of life cycle of, of monetization, we're still very, very, very young. Um, so a lot of times it's, it's, again, we want to develop long-term strategic relationships. And through that, you have to trust us that over time, if you produce great content, more eyeballs watch that content, more time is spent on that content, yet you have a much more engaged and retained audience. And then as we kind of build out our uh, monetization side of the house further and further, that only leads to, to potentially more revenue. And like I mentioned before, 
when I started, our entire business was direct sold. Um, and now it's almost reversed and 90% of our business is programmatic. So as we continue to grow that space, you know, what we tell our partners every day is your goal is to produce the best content you can on our platform. And as long as you do that, do that, you know, as we continue to ramp up the other side of the house, um, you'll have more and more opportunities from the monetization standpoint. ML, one of the biggest and most controversial issues in the business right now is the issue around data privacy. And we've seen this affecting many of the big social media companies, most notably Facebook. Uh, to a lesser extent, Google. Um, it's less of an issue for Snapchat for some of the reasons we've covered already, but can you talk about that for a second and how, how you guys are handling that and, and, and dealing with the pressure that's being applied, yeah. sometimes both externally and sometimes just through self-regulation? Yeah, so I think you know a big difference is that when you join our app, you're only asked for your age and your gender. So in terms of you know, what we know about you, it's actually very small. Um, and as you mentioned earlier, you know we're, we're an ephemeral platform, things go away. We're not saving snaps, we're not saving chats, none of that. Um, the heart of our platform is ephemerality, and because of that, there is no data for us to keep, nor do, could we benefit from that anyways. Um, again, our platform is a best friends network. It's meant to be a fun, no pressure, genuine place you can talk and have fun with your friends. Um, and because of that, you know, we don't necessarily run into a lot of the, those data issues because we're quite frankly not saving or sharing any of those stuff. And to be clear, you're not using any of the behavioral data that you might collect from me, let's say using Discover necessarily for the advertising targeting. The, the data we're using there is that if you watch ESPN's channel and you follow Antonio Brown and you watch a Nick story, we can discern that you're a sports fan. Right. And right. Uh, from that, we know uh, from a content standpoint, you'll be surfaced more sports content. Right. From an advertising standpoint, you know, brands can target sports fans, which right. you're falling into. Uh, yes, and then using the, the one key piece of data that you have, or one of the two key pieces, which would be my age. Yes, exactly. So I'm a 40-year-old sports fan who loves NBA, which you can tell, and that's exactly good right. enough to get some targeted advertising. Exactly right. As opposed to the other guys getting every single thing about your life. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> okay. Exactly right. So it's been no secret in the marketplace that Facebook and Instagram have, shall we say, mimicked, <laughs> I was going to say copied, uh, a bunch of your... Uh, features yeah. uh, and and kind of ideas, uh, I think it's fair to say. Mm -hmm. um, has that in any way impacted your ability to grow any of these categories, including sports? Yeah, you know, I, I think in one sense is actually uh, it's actually helpful to us, uh, which I know sounds strange, but we were probably the first platform to really push vertical video. Um, and our thesis from day one is that you do everything on your on your phone, texting, reading articles, everything vertically, except for whatever reason when you watch a YouTube clip, you turn your phone horizontally. Um, so, so kudos to them for saying from day one, this entire app's gonna be vertical. Now, the challenge with that is that you had brands that have produced content and cut content horizontally for forever, so they were doing an entirely new process for us. So when some of the platforms you mentioned started um, mimicking us, uh, and doing a lot, of, a lot of stuff on the vertical side as well. It's good because the industry has now shifted to more right. of a vertical That's a thing. Good, good, good answer. Yeah. And and it really pushes more brands, and that helps all shifts, right? right? Um, I think in terms of how it affects us more broadly, you know, everything we have in our app, whether it be content, whether it be lenses, whether it be filters, whether it be game, whatever it might be, it's all part of our ecosystem, and they all kind of speak to each other. So. Uh, all those pieces kind of come together when you use the app, whether you're using the camera, whether you're using the messaging side or the content side, they're all made to kind of work together. 
So, uh, you know, as long as we keep innovating and growing our ecosystem, I think we're going to be just fine. Um, And it's fine if other folks want to take pieces of that. But again, what we are creating is part of what our ecosystem is. Right. So how uh, openly do you talk about the duplication issue? I know as a former media uh, planner and seller Mm -hmm. back when I was younger, um, I would want to know if I'm looking at this social media landscape right now, and I'm deciding where to put some of my content efforts and my advertising and, and, and some of my pursuing some of these advertising opportunities, what kind of duplication you have. I don't know what you can say publicly or what's in your media kit or your sales pitches, but can you talk about it? I know you, you, you made a reference to it a few minutes ago that it wasn't very high. Yeah, so, so no, we, we did a, um, there's a couple of public studies on this. I think one of them that, that we came out end of, end of Q4 was our um, unduplicated reach with Twitter or something like, 73% of, of Snapchatters can't be found on Twitter. They use Snapchat every day, can be okay. on Twitter every day. And, and it, there's a couple of public studies on it. So, oh. um, yeah, again, I think that we're just very different. You know, we're the only app that opens to the camera. So you're kind of incentivized to create content. You know, two-thirds of our users um, create content every day, which I think is very rare. Right. Um, for a lot of the other platforms that I use, I can't remember the last time that I posted or, or mm-hmm. made a video for. Fair point, yeah. um, And... Again, we're we're a best friends network, right? You know, we're not. There's no likes. There's no accumulation. There's no feedback loop in terms of that. Um, I think because of that, it's a little more genuine, a little more no pressure. So a lot of the athletes. So we more to, more need less feed, maybe. Yeah, ex- way to think ex- of it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I think shout out it, to Chris Niari. Yeah, I think yeah. I think it's funny because you know we talked to a lot of athletes about this as well, and they, you know, there's a lot of pressure when you post on a permanent platform, right? So no matter what your intention is, if one person interprets it the wrong way you might get a flurry of responses that you have to now deal with. I think they love, what they love about our platform is they can be themselves. And if you want to respond to them, you're responding one-to-one. Nobody yeah. else sees it and it doesn't mm-hmm. really become viral. Right. Um, and and because, it goes away. And it goes away. <laughs> right. So the ephemerality thing is very important because you know when you're having a conversation with somebody, you're generally not writing down everything they're saying and then coming back to them referring to it. It's very ephemeral in the sense that you're, there's no pressure about what you're talking about. Um, so, you know, that left side of our app, the, the, the chat and the communication with, with pictures and video, I think really revolutionized that for, for this generation in terms of um, communicating with your friends in a really no pressure, a genuine, authentic way. Yeah, it, it, you know, now that you say it that way, it's, it's closer in character and behavior to just messaging apps and communications apps. Exactly. Which are, by definition, more private. Um, not always, but more often than not, compared to, let's say, Facebook and Instagram. Exactly right. Yeah. Okay. Exactly right, yeah. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> All right, so um, one more one more question that I think would be uh, interesting for everybody to hear about, then we'll get into a couple of final wrap-up things. Um, can you mention specific examples of activations that are either recent or happening now, let's say, because there's a lot going on in Q1 of any Q1, but uh, we've got a lot of big things coming up this yeah. year. Ranging from uh, well, Super Bowl. This will be old, which will be old news by this. But um, NBA All Star Game. Uh, we've got the Masters Tournament. We've got uh, Women's World Cup. Lots of interesting stuff. So, talk about a couple of activations that are particularly interesting. Yeah. So I'll talk about. Uh, I think the last twelve months is really exciting for anyone in the sports world. The game that you got um, an Olympics and a World mm-hmm. Cup in the right. same year. So uh, I think those two things for us were we're very proud about because um, it was really the f- the first time, the first or second time we've really done something that's very global in nature. So we work with all the relevant broadcasters in our target markets in both of those um, sporting events. So we had localized content. 
in places like the U.S. and France and Canada uh, and Brazil and Australia and the U.K., etc. Um, so it really had a global feel. And I think one thing that I'll highlight with the Fox partnership that we had with the U.S. for the World Cup was that um, it was the first time that we had dynamically updated stories. So uh, historically, what you saw on Snap is that uh, we create content on a Sunday, for example, for, for a game. Um, and then it'd get posted later that night or, or maybe Monday morning, um, which is still pretty close to real time, but not real time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what we realized with the World Cup, and especially with the time difference, is that there's so many games happening each day. And if you have content happening a day later, you're almost missing kind of what's right. happening in the right. atmosphere and, and kind of the conversation around it. Um, so, so Fox was uh, the first partner for us to have a dynamically updating story um, during game days where they literally, if you came in and checked the story at noon, you might see a goal from Brazil over Argentina. If you came back at 2, they would update that with highlights from France and Croatia, for example. So it was really, I think what we saw there, you saw users coming back now within the day, right. which was rare for us. Um, and then we used that model to do the same thing for uh, the NFL on Sunday. So we now have a Sunday published story, we call it, um, throughout the season, it's kind of like a red zone type feel where it literally updates throughout the day, every 30 minutes to an hour. So if you're an NFL fan, you can come back multiple times throughout the day and get new updates and highlights and uh, kind of commentary around it, which again, for our platform is relatively new. Right. Um, so I think those couple of things were some of the you know very unique and different things and wrinkles we added on this year. I think the other thing that is important to note is um, people always assume that we only have content deals. But you know what we really kind of expanded the last year and a half or so is doing things outside of content to enhance Snapchatter's experiences at the actual events. Um, so the example I'll give is last year during the Super Bowl where uh, Verizon actually came out and said that Snap was the number one most used app in, in the stadium and around Minnesota during the Super Bowl weekend. And that's not because people were watching content. It's because they were using stuff like our lenses that we had on the ground, mm-hmm. our filters that we had, which, again, provide contextual overlays to what you're snapping about. Um, and then stuff like Bitmoji. So we have a deal with all the four major leagues in the U.S. where you can put your Bitmoji um, in your favorite team's kind of outfit, which is pretty cool. So it's another way to express your fandom. Right. And our goal, again, not just with the content, but just on the platform more broadly, uh, is to really express your pageantry and fandom as a sports fan on Snap. Right. Uh, we did the same thing with the World Cup and Nike and Adidas. So I think it's worth noting that the elements outside of the content piece also help us kind of control the conversation, um, so much so that we were the number one most used app in the Super Bowl last year. Wow, that's great. So just as, to put a pin on that, um, what, I, what I was thinking about as you're discussing it, each of those deals, each of those executions requires the, the hard work of developing ideas and being really creative. Because ultimately, this is a bunch of you guys sitting in a room, like yeah. you go visit the NFL and say, what can we do for the Super Bowl? And someone says, I have an idea, let's try this. And I mean, that's really what it comes down to, right? Yeah. So, so you have the tools, the tool set, which is, which is evolving, but essentially the tool set is a stain for all these different properties. Right. Really comes up to the, comes up, com, comes from the creativity. Yeah. Um, do you find that certain properties, well, I, I'm, I'm kind of leading, leading the, uh, leading the uh, witness here, uh, <laughs> certain properties are more creative than others? Like some people just get Snapchat more than others? You don't um, have to name names. But. Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, everyone's creative in, the, in their own way, right? So like, it's it's I've learned so much working with different properties because they all have you learn so much about what what is important to them and what they're looking to do 
Um, a lot of it's similar, but a lot of it's very different. So I think what's, again, what's nice about us is that we're, we're very young in the space, and I think in a very good way, it gives us the ability to really grow and learn and mature with these guys. So our deals with League One versus League Two versus Broadcaster One versus Broadcaster Two um, could be very different. Yeah. But we have the ability to, to make sure that we're bringing the best of Snap, and to use your analogy, that toolkit. Mm-hmm. We have a bunch of the tools. You know, our goal is to go in that room and pick the right ones. Right. You know, the last thing we want to do is, is bring a partner on the platform and try and do too much or too little or, or do something that doesn't really fit right um, and they're not see success. You know, we want to have long-term relationships and have them success on the platform. And that success is defined differently for you know, a certain league versus a rights holder versus a broadcaster. Um, but our goal is to really mold that together. And again, we're not, we might do a deal and it's funny, and you know this, like you do a deal and you have certain terms you think about and, and content that you're going to discuss and then it starts and it's, it's entirely different, right? right Things just right. change. So mm-hmm. um, I think for from what we're really proud for our partners about and, and they've been amazing to us is this flexibility. You know, yeah. our app is ever-changing um, and we're still in this massive growth phase that every week, every month, we have a different feature and something different you're going to read in the media about what we're thinking about. Um, and our partners have been amazing to us in the sense that they allow us to be flexible in that sense and work with us as the platform continues to evolve. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Um, wow, it's a really interesting story. What, yeah. a, what an interesting job that you have. Uh, <laughs> so good for you. So thanks for sharing all yeah, that. Yeah, no problem. Uh, a couple more questions before we wrap, and that is uh, the, the standard questions we ask everybody. Um, you obviously need to stay on top of a lot of things about what's going on in digital media, what's going on in tech, what's going on in the sports business proper. How do you stay smart? Yeah, you know, I think the the first thing um, is reading. You know, I, I, I'm a subscriber to SBJ. Um, they're phenomenal. Uh, I, I read John Wall Street. You know, I stay very close on Twitter with everything going on. Um, outside of the, the sports world, you know, I really like Ben Thompson. Trajectory, I think, is huge. Yes. Um, podcasts, you know, I listen to a lot of the Bill Simmons stuff. Part of my take I love, and it's just funny. Right. Um, Tim Ferriss as well. Right. You know, so I think, and I'm sure everyone in the podcast comes on and talks about reading. Right. Um, but I think it's really important to stay what's going on. The sports world is massive, and there's so much going on on a day-to-day basis. Um, so staying in the know with that. And I think the, the other thing on top of reading is as much as I can, as I try to go as many industry events and conferences as mm-hmm. possible, um, listening to people speak, kind of talking to, to a lot of the, the people that you may work with um, is also, I think, extremely, extremely important mm-hmm. in terms of how, how the business continues to evolve and grow. Mm-hmm. So I try and go to as many of those as possible just so I can kind of, uh, by osmosis, get more of that being in the room and being with those industry leaders for sure. Yeah, cool. Um, okay, and the second one is, can you offer some uh, advice to on, on the career development front to uh, especially the young people listening? Yeah, I'd say... Um, and by the way, you're a young person yeah. uh, yourself, but you have had an interesting path in, uh, yeah. in, a brief, in, in a brief time so yeah, far. Yeah, I'd say probably two or three things that I, that I gave advice to people for. You know, always have a long-term view. Um, I think it's very easy for all of us, and it's happened to me a million times, where you get... You know, frustrated by short-term setbacks. Um, if you take the long-term view on anything, um, you know, I think it is always it's always better for you to think about, you know, am I doing the right thing for for me and myself and my career long-term? Um, there's going to be opportunities that pass you over. There's going to be promotions that pass you over, and that's going to happen. Um, that's very natural. Uh, but if you have a long-term view on things, you're going to be just fine. The second thing is is don't be afraid of change. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, you know, the brain is a muscle, and if you don't 
stretch it out, work it out, challenge it. Like any other muscle in your body, it's going to get weak and it's going to get slow. Um, so I think we all get also caught in this path of doing a, a ritual and a routine every single day. And you get really good at doing a couple things. Um, but don't be afraid to change things up. Uh, so I, you know, the the example I gave you when we started this is that, you know, I never in a million years would I thought I wouldn't finance the sports. Um, and there's definitely that initial kind of hesitation of can I do this? Um, but I think you'll always be surprised and learn a lot from, from how much your, your, your brain kind of take on and learn. And it's fun. You know, yeah. learning an entirely different world and language is a lot of fun. Right. So I would encourage people to do that as much as they can. Um, and I think the third thing is, you know, try and do something that you're super passionate about. Um, you know, as much as I, I learned from finance and I learned from insurance asset management, you know, it wasn't making me tick every day, right? I didn't wake up on Saturday mornings and read the insurance journal and feel super jazzed about it. Um, so, you know, going to the sports world, I'm a massive sports fan. Um, I love learning about sports rights. I love going to sporting events. Um, and I just love learning about the business. So it's less of a job for me and it's more of a passion that I can kind of pursue further. So if you're, whatever job you're in today, if you're a student listening, whatever it is, if you're not having fun about it, if you're not, if it doesn't kind of keep your kind of brain uh, working and chugging along every single day, if it doesn't make you smile, um, go do something different immediately yeah. uh, or at least think about what's what's next. So are you now a sports biz lifer? Will you ever go back to finance? <laughs> I don't <laughs> do know if I can go back to, to, you in enough? I don't know if I can go back to wearing a suit and tie every day. I think yeah. that was that was a, a nice change when yeah. I moved over. Um, but I think being open minded is important. So I'd yeah. say ne- I would never say never never yeah. on anything. I, yeah. I think anything's possible now and and I was very lucky to have this this change uh, in my career. So because of that, you know, I, there's any, anything's possible yeah. quite frankly I think anyone when anyone asks that question when you have an interview where you see yourself in five or ten years I think it's a BS question I don't right. think anyone can really answer I that I agree with you um, I, I think your answer to that should be um, I'm going to continue to learn and grow and, and keep grinding and, and keep hustling and if I continue to do that then good things will happen yeah that's a that's good advice good perspective so thank you Amal really no problem thanks it. for having me I really appreciate uh, it. thanks for everybody for listening to that uh really interesting conversation about Snapchat. One of the most interesting businesses that has come into uh, our digital media world um, in recent history, recent memory. So 2011, by the way, it started? Yes. Yeah. Wow. So two years away from an anniversary. Yeah. Uh, pretty amazing to think about in eight years what's what's happened. So uh, you're lucky to be part of it. Yeah. So congratulations sure. on all that. Um, thanks for listening, guys. That was a fun conversation with Admiral Malhotra from Snapchat. He is the head of sports partnerships, and you'll be seeing him around at these different New York City sports events and tech events. And hope you get to meet him sometime. Is there any way, um, you'd, anything you want to share where people can find you, like Twitter handle or whatever, Snapchat? Yeah, I think uh, you know I'm actually more connecting people on LinkedIn. Okay. So, so definitely find me on LinkedIn, okay. uh, and that's where I kind of do more of the messaging and, and meetup and emails, etc. Nice, excellent. All right, thanks again, everybody. Joe, we'll see you next time. Uh, Appreciate everybody listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks a lot.